Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is John Macy, who's an Alexander Technique teacher in Omaha, Nebraska. He's also a physical therapist and a a Pilates instructor, certified Pilates instructor. He's been a, a PT for over 30 years, an Alexander Technique teacher for over 30 years also. And he is the owner of Great Plains Pilates and Physical Therapy in Omaha. And we're going to talk today about um, his and my primary teacher, Marjorie Barstow. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. So um, I, I assume you would agree that Marge was your primary teacher as well? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, maybe it would be good to start with how you first uh, met her and what some of your initial impressions of her were. I first met Marge at one of her summer workshops. That would have been the summer of 1983, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, she did these large workshops for a month in Lincoln, residential workshops. I had studied with one of her students in Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school. Mm-hmm. And since the beginning of when I studied with Pam Black in Madison, she said, you know, I love teaching, but you really ought to go and study with Marge if you get the chance and encourages all of her, all of her students to go to the summer workshops. Mm-hmm. So I hitchhiked down to Lincoln in the summer of 83 and spent, I think, three weeks at that workshop. Mm-hmm. And that was my start with working with Marge. Yeah, and that was, I think that was the first summer workshop I attended as well. It was in the FIMU house. Yes, on the Wesleyan campus. Sorority on the Wesleyan campus. So what was your, what was your first impression of, of her? You'd already had lessons, so you knew about the technique. What was your first impression of her? Um, I was actually quite struck at how small she was. Yeah. She was very, I don't know, maybe five foot mm-hmm. at best. Mm-hmm. Um, very small framed, small boned, but these immense hands. Her hands are the same size as mine, and I wear size 11 gloves. Mm-hmm. But I'm 5'10 and 200 pounds. You kind of expect that kind of hands. Um, so it really struck me at how large her hands were. Mm-hmm. And her teaching style. I think the thing that struck me was her willingness to wait. She'd have a little idea, try this, do this with the group or with individuals, and then wait to see how it worked out. She was never really pushing an agenda of do this, do this, do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that struck me that first workshop. That and that willingness to experiment. Whenever mm-hmm. anybody would say, I wonder about this, she'd say, well, let's find out. And have them work on it immediately, that activity or idea that they had instead of doing it in the theoretical. She immediately wanted practical application of what you were thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. She she was always willing to experiment, to try something something mm-hmm. new. And it I don't think it bothered her particularly if something didn't work out. She just would move on to something else. Right. She'd ruled out that that doesn't work. 
But it also involved, and that was one of the big things she was in at that time for several years of people learning constructive criticism. How as a group to do things to learn more and leaving your egos out of it. Mm-hmm. To get up and demonstrate something, to be told, no, that didn't work or this is incorrect, but not ter- take it personally. We're just playing with movement. It wasn't a, there was no moral judgment involved here. Right or wrong didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was one of her big contributions to that cohort of teachers and students was to really get them to be willing to just play an experiment and to experiment in a group to get multiple ideas and multiple inputs and being able to learn how to take that criticism to make positive changes, which I think was a great life skill for many of us. Absolutely. And I, I'm trying to remember back to 83. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing there were 50, 60, 70 people there at any one time when she was working with the whole group. Does that sound that about right, right to you? I seem to recall 100-some people came through the workshop that year. Yeah. And so, that so was the time, that was a period, early, mid-80s, when the number of people that were coming, especially to the summer workshops, was growing pretty rapidly. And there came a point when there would be well over 100 people in the room at one time, with yeah. just this little short lady running the class. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else about your initial uh, impressions of her at that point? No, those are the two things that struck me the most, mm-hmm. her size and that that willingness to experiment. Um, and, and from that point, um, I, I know you came to an awful lot of her workshops, so you must have, been, must have felt there were some benefits in it for you. Oh, yeah. I, I was hooked on Alexander Technique long before I even got there. Mm-hmm. My first experience, experience with the technique, like I said, was a... Pam Black, who's since become a uh, physician working, and I believe somewhere in New Mexico. But at any rate, I remember at that first lesson, Pam worked with me a bit and had me take a little walk across the room, and I felt like I was walking on cotton balls three inches off the floor. I had lost so much tension. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I still remember thinking, i got to find out how this works. Right, right. And so when I started studying with Marjorie... I really felt like she was showing me how this works. More importantly, she was showing me how to figure out how this works. Mm-hmm. And that that kept me hooked on going to see Marge for, well, up until her death. Right, right. So you were there during the period of very, very large groups. Um, as I said, well over 100 at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, did anything about Marge, did you, I mean, did you sense there were some changes in her teaching as time went on? Yes. Um, as time went on, she got more interested in other approaches. I, when I first met her, she was very much about what do you notice, what are you thinking, mm-hmm. and a more global what are you thinking about this and the big picture, if you will, And I found that over time, she started focusing on particular areas of the body, um, particularly what we were doing in our upper thorax, Mm -hmm. upper chest and back. And I remember her saying many times later in her career, people just don't know what they do there. But I found her very fascinated with that and also with respiration. Mm -hmm. 
I began to see her focused more on how people are breathing and how that ties into their movement patterns. That's interesting. That there, I think she went through a couple of phases of areas that none of us knew about. I think originally it was the area down just above our pelvis, that area. Mm-hmm. was the great unknown, she would say, and or <laughs> no one knows what they're doing there. And then I remember one workshop, it had suddenly morphed into the, as you say, the upper upper torso area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was just her exploring and discovering new things. One of the things that I noticed happened during the mid-'80s, because I, I remember thinking, these numbers are kind of getting out of hand, Um, even for Marge. I mean, 125 people in the room for three hours and one person. And I was kind of curious as to how she was going to deal with that as the numbers kept growing. And what I, what's to me seemed like her solution was to just move a lot faster Uh, at the beginning in the sense that she would, early on, she would take a very leisurely approach to getting into the work. And by the mid-80s, she was moving quite quickly. And you could keep up if you were a newcomer, but you really had to be motivated. Whereas earlier on, she was much more accommodating to new people and spending a lot of time with them. So that was one way that she got the numbers under control somewhat. Yes, and then she also started having people who had worked with her for years to help her teach. Right, her, um, her but, helpers. You know, yes. <laughs> but also, you know, her interest in the newcomers is always there. Oh, As absolutely. time went on and there were smaller workshops again, mm-hmm. um, somebody who was new, she'd spend a fair amount of time with if they seemed to be understanding or show a real interest. She really enjoyed working with somebody who didn't have much exposure to the technique. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but it became kind of a special treat for the rest of us. It was always interesting when a new person showed up and she uh-huh. and was about to get their first encounter with Marge. Everyone who might have been dozing woke up right away <laughs> yeah. um, to to witness this because we were very curious to see how she how she did that. And she was always right in the moment and um, worked with someone right at their level. It was it was astonishing to see. But she generally moved a lot more quickly in the group classes that you could always join the join in as a newcomer. But I think it became a little more challenging, perhaps, as time went on for those big classes. Yeah, for the big ones. And that kept the numbers under control because without that, I don't really know how it would have played out. I was, I remember doing, doing the math on it and thinking, boy, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when 300 people show up because <laughs> there was no control really over who who came right i mean people just no. arrived and yeah. you never knew really what was what was going on so um so you you were there throughout that period and then um and we moved into the 90s the size of the classes uh, shrank quite a bit because we had to keep them small 
and yeah. her teaching uh, again changed some. Do you have anything to say about that period? Well, in the late 80s, I actually moved to Lincoln to study with her regularly. So mm-hmm. two evenings a week, I was at her house for several hours with five or six other people for lessons. Right. And um, that was very different than the way she taught in the groups in that you had the time and you could have the discussions about why do you do this, Marge, and what are you doing when you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, which was very interesting because it was at the time where, oh, let's see, ACAT and other groups, there was a big interest in being, quote, certified, unquote, in Alexander Technique. Mm-hmm. And people were concerned about how to, wanted to know how to teach also. Mm-hmm. I do remember her saying that teaching is no different than anything else. You move like you're moving, and if you know what you're thinking, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. She didn't really see teaching as anything else except an extension of just everything else you do anyway. So I think she always found the certification thing a little a little overblown for what it was. Yeah, there was a, there was a period there when certification certainly became an issue um so and yeah you moved to lincoln in the in the late 80s right and i moved there in 1990 moved here in 1990 uh and you were around really for the last smaller workshops that were held here in lincoln and also her her evening classes in her home yeah and things got the numbers went down dramatically, and we kept the numbers at around 10 or 12 people. Yeah. Her, and her field of attention was the big issue at that point. Yeah, she was having some neurological problems. and um, But when she was on, she was on. Oh, she was, yeah. You know, one of the things is we talk about her interest in new students that did strike me was the fact that she never did the same thing twice. Every new student, she approached differently absolutely she had no cookie cutter approach that the new people we always do this format we always do it this way that i had seen in other alexander teachers they kind of had a a rap and a rhythm and what they do with every new student marge never had any of that she just talked to him a little bit and get her hands on and say now what are you doing about this and it really varied from student to student what that this was or if she how long she'd work with them even at first yeah, and the new student could be a rancher from western Nebraska who had stumbled into this by some circuitous route, or it could be a teacher, uh, mm-hmm. a teacher of many years' experience uh, who who typically had trained in a fairly traditional way and had shown up just like I did originally back while well, I was still on a training course, but... People came from a lot of different backgrounds, and she would just deal with each person. Uh, do you want to say anything about how she dealt with, with teachers from, from other traditions? That's kind of an interesting, um, it was interesting to see. Yeah. <laughs> she was very careful to try to not pass judgment on them in public. Right. Um, you know, she was very, in that sense, very gracious. She had her sense of propriety about it. Mm-hmm. But she was very good about saying, you know, well, we're just going to do this, or this is what I do, mm-hmm. to try to get them to try it. And she was also careful about her language at times. To say, Actually, I rarely heard her use the word Alexander Technique. She was very big on Mr. Alexander's discoveries. Yes, yes. Or Mr. Used. Alexander's work. Mm-hmm. 
But she really, I think, was conscious, as was Alexander, of trying to keep it out of being a pigeonholed technique, but rather a means of investigation. And I think she took that attitude to teachers from other backgrounds who came in to say, this is what we should do. And she'd say, well, he discovered this. Why don't we try it Mm -hmm. and see how that fit to their training? Yeah. Although, um, you know, she did work with people doing activities and... The one activity that was a little different from all others was the activity of actually teaching somebody else. Uh-huh. And someone would say, I'd like to give a table lesson or I'd like to give an Alexander lesson to to someone else in the room. The stakes were a lot higher for that. Do you want to talk a little about that? <laughs> <laughs> Way higher. <laughs> Oh, my. How many times have we both experienced Marge saying, what are you doing with your hand there? And as soon as you said, I don't know, she'd slap it and go, well, then why is it on there? Yeah. Or what are you doing when you get up to walk over to that person? (laughs) Yeah. What are you thinking? She she was extremely exacting that you were very clear about your behavior the whole interaction. Yeah, and of course, those of us who'd been around here knew that, and when we would volunteer for that, we knew that it was going to be a, a somewhat different process. But new <laughs> teachers from who had not experienced it were often quite shocked by that. Yeah, they and, were. And I can think of one or two who were, were in a way, kind of offended, and uh, at least one person who left. Just they couldn't take it. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I, what I did see with her also, though, um, I think I had a conversation with her on the front porch one time about this, <clears throat> about the teaching was just an extension of really using yourself well and thinking clearly. But that she felt that somebody was ready to teach when they felt they were ready to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't you've done so much of this, then you can. That some people... We're ready and, you know, a year's worth of lessons and other people never would be. And it mm-hmm. kind of kept her out of that framework of, well, you've had your 1,600 hours, you're, you should be a teacher. And that was a very kind of different approach that, and again, goes back to she was looking at what people were doing individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it harked back to the fact that, you know, her training was different than other teachers. She was the first one certified and left England, and everybody else in the class stayed for another year at Alexander's request. Right, and and but of course before before the training Alexander's first training course, there were people who he had trained individually, kind of on, on an apprenticeship basis. But mm-hmm. my sense is that even his first training course, the numbers were really small, and I think it was just kind of working very intensely with Alexander uh-huh. and some of his other, uh, some of the people he had trained. But yeah, she was the first person to qualify from his training course. And she also spent some time in Boston with his brother, A.R. Alexander, uh-huh. and, and assisted him in, in teaching in teaching there. And she always maintained that um, she got a lot from AR, and she was. It was kind of hard to disentangle the two in uh, in any questioning you might have of her. You know, she would just say, "Well, they were both very good." You know, yeah, <laughs> in her vague way. 
Um, and she actually had AR out to Lincoln a number of times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to do work with a group of people. And um, Alexander also during the war, I think he made two or three trips to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And I know she has photographs of him teaching at her house. Um, oh, let's see, that would have been 43 or something. Could be, I think. yeah. yeah. But I've yeah, never seen had, those, but I can well imagine yeah, so she had you know involvement not only with it, they are in Boston, but in doing work with some people in Lincoln way back then. Mm-hmm. Now you you had some experience with her work at towards the very end of her life, right? Yes, where it was basically private or semi-private lessons. Mm-hmm. And do you want to say a word or two about that? Yeah, it was very quiet work at that point i believe margaret had a couple of small strokes and so her verbal abilities were very limited mm-hmm. but her eyes were still just sharp as an eagle right. you could see them working around and her thinking and she would use her hands to communicate with you and i think what she was doing well my experience was she was really communicating by feeling how you were moving and then just getting a little involved to show you a different way to try it Mm-hmm. A little way to try it. And it always made a huge difference. It was much more focused, frankly, than it had ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like neurologically I was getting more education about myself and my thinking by following her movement than I was by the verbal communication I had ever had with her. Yeah, it, she pretty much let go of the verbal communication at that point. I think... I think she didn't really have that ability so much anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was just hands-on work. And she would, um, she was very frail at that point. And um, there would always be uh, a minder standing behind her, a, a home health aide, to keep her from falling backwards. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was quite an, it was quite an amazing period. It lasted roughly... I'd say a year and a half when you you could get these extended individual sessions with her. They would often go on for an hour and a half or more. Well, I think she just found them very entertaining. You know, I've done the work that she had done for years and she clearly enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. She certainly wasn't making any money off it at that point or doing it for the profit. Right. Um, The workshops, I think, were very profitable for her. But the stuff she did in her home... It was $5 a lesson. Yeah. You know, it was just a, a token to show you appreciated coming and there mm-hmm. was an exchange, but she was doing it because she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I do remember towards the end of her life, um, she had fallen and broken her hip mm-hmm. and was bedridden. And I'd gone over to her house. She was, they had a hospital bed downstairs in the house and, um, Long and short was, they weren't moving her enough. As a PT, I know that somebody at her age with that problem, you really need to be up and walking three or four times a day, not once a day when the PT shows up. Mm -hmm. So I went over and took her for a walk, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I could feel, at least I'd like to believe, she really appreciated somebody handling her well to get her up and get her moving instead of your standard PT who didn't know anything about Alexander technique. But I remember having her sitting on the edge of the bed, and me actually giving her a lesson to help her get up and on this leg that hurt. Mm -hmm. And this interaction of me helping her and then her kind of giving me a lesson back and how she moved, 
And it was a wonderful little movement conversation we had to get her up and walking around the room that morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, and it wasn't terribly long after that that she, she passed away. Yeah. I think in 1995, if I recall. Uh, yeah, June of 95, I believe. Right. So looking back on on your experience with Marge, and I know you've had work from a lot of other teachers you um, over the years, what what would you say about her work and how it sort of fits in with other strands of Alexander Technique teaching? Well, I think what's more important is how it contrasts with it. Okay. One of the things that really have I didn't know any better at the time when I started with Marge because I started with one of her students and then her, but how radical it was is she taught A in groups, which mm-hmm. is how most of us move, and B in activities. It wasn't specified, codified activities, get out of this kind of chair, up and down, up and down, now we walk. It was, okay, you want to work with throwing a ball. You want to work with doing this dance piece. Very dynamic activities. Mm-hmm. Really keeping it, keeping it real, if you will. You know, things we do in real life. And right. so I think she kind of took the next step from what a lot of strands were doing at that time, who were, we'll do this stuff, this very codified sort of stuff, and then you carry it into life. And she just said, well, let's just start out with you carrying it into life, and we'll backfill if we have to. Yeah, and in fact, the one when I first met her in the late 70s, the one activity she would not work with is getting in and out of a chair. She absolutely <laughs> refused to. And I remember asking her about it at lunch once, and she said, well, people just have so many um, sort of preconceived notions of how they're going to do that um, based on their... She's talking about Alexander teachers, really. Uh-huh. And and I actually, at one point, realized that I had those very clearly. I had that insight that I, I wasn't approaching standing up or sitting down as though it were to get into a chair or to stand up, but as some part of some bigger process that came with all sorts of baggage attached. I think ritual is the word. Ritual, whatever. And so she just refused to work with people uh, on that one activity, although uh, a few years later she sort of relented. But even when she did, she certainly didn't do it in the the traditional way. The other thing uh, I would say, uh, apart from, I mean, the thing that brought me to Lincoln originally was I heard she worked with groups, and I was really curious how she did that. But I would almost say that a bigger difference between her and most other teachers is that she really insisted on working with your thinking mm-hmm. in, and, and would give you, the student, a huge amount of responsibility if she sensed that you could handle it right from the very beginning, right from your initial encounter with her. Yes. Which is it- very different from... In my previous experience in London. And I think that was reflected in her language, because I do remember for as long as I knew her that she would help a student a little, and then her first question is, what did you notice? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying, "I, you know, I don't know what you're thinking. You have to tell me, which implied you got to know what you're thinking. Because if you said, I don't know, she was done for the day there. Yeah. 
until you knew what you were doing, Chief kind of figured, well, I can't, we can't go any further because you're at your limit. Yeah, but she I don't say, think it, Yeah, go ahead. I don't think it was she was thinking, well, you're too stupid. I think she really thought, okay, we've gotten to where you don't understand what you're doing, so until you figure it out, I cannot help you any further, but I will when you get there. And she might say, why don't you just sit, sit down and think about this for a while or something like yeah. that. And But she, she was very uh, amazingly attuned to people's ability to take take charge of themselves she if someone didn't have that ability for one reason or another at at, at that moment in time she would ha- she would do a lot of hands-on work and she wouldn't bother them about directions particularly yeah give them a sensory experiment experience so they had some data to work with right and, and that's part of, you know when i said she would get us up and moving and then backfill she would watch us walk around or do something that we'd asked about, and she would at times say, well, well, just sit down here and would just work with your leg or your arm or your mm-hmm. foot for a while because she had noticed that was the part that wasn't getting coordinated like the rest. Mm-hmm. So she'd you know, step it back, if you will, to something that's a lot easier and more focused and then have you return to the activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can remember many a time she would come in uh, at the beginning of a- – uh, maybe the second or third or fourth day of a workshop, right at the beginning, she would say, you know, I've been thinking about about how I should t- teach today, basically given what happened yesterday. And I've, I feel like I have to really, I need to really emphasize this point or I want to go over this. Po-. You know, she was always in the moment. How can I... How can I do the best possible job based on what I know at this point? Mm-hmm. And I remember often after a workshop, I might be driving her home or something or talking to her at the end of the last day. She would say things to me like, you know, I think I did a pretty good job. Um, there were, but then she would critique herself. But But I need to be a little more insistent on this or that, you know. Uh-huh. She was very uh, always looking to to do better and to get uh-huh. the get the most get help people as well as as much as she could. Yes, I would agree with that. The other thing that also strikes me is that she she loved having people work with their voice. Oh, yeah. In fact, insistent with it after you'd had some lessons with her. Mm-hmm. Um, reading aloud, speaking, but it was very um, important to her that people work with their voice as a component of their Alexander training. Mm-hmm. And I see that as different from other Alexander teachers that I've come across also. Well, we had to recite the alphabet in a circular arrangement, A, B, C, D, or, or a, line, a line from a story or something. She was, yeah. you're right, she was very, uh, very interested in voice. And anyone who wanted to get a little extra work from her in a group knew that the way to do it <laughs> was to say, oh, Marge, could you help me with my singing or help me? I want I to practice public speaking, that kind of thing. Right. Read a pa- especially read a passage out of one of Alexander's oh books. Oh, my God. That was, like a, a, was a- that was a guaranteed way to get up there. <laughs> I'd like to read something from one of Mr. Alexander's books. Man, you you were up there in no time. <laughs> and, 
Although yeah. when you did that, sometimes she gets so engrossed in the idea that she just she listened. Might, yeah. Well, that was very nice. Now, what do you think about what he wrote? Exactly. She <laughs> might forget you. Yeah, that is true. Is there anything else you want to say about Marge and your or your experiences with Marge? Um. You know, Marge was a very interesting woman. She had a lot more going on than just the Alexander technique. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting how people in the Alexander world realized that she was involved with Alexander. But she also had a fairly large business holdings, business life also, that most people in the Alexander world don't know about. But more curiously, is the reverse is true. A lot of people in other aspects of her life had no idea she was doing this work with Alexander technique. Including oh. her family, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, she her her father was uh, who had died years earlier was uh, was one of the richest people in the area. I mean, he uh, I believe yeah. he was the richest person in a neighboring county. Uh, anyway, he was he was very wealthy, and Marge um, managed the 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 properties. She didn't just outsource that. She actually uh-huh. managed them herself and uh until until pretty far along in her life and as you say the people that she would interact with at, down at the, the the big bank downtown or whatever they the had bank or out on the farm or, or whatever yeah though yeah she managed the ranch as well <laughs> um they they re- they had no idea I think the guy the guy who worked with her on the ranch did because she would take some of her students out there sometimes but certainly the bankers had no idea that she was um doing this thing called the Alexander technique. <laughs> I remember running into someone once and um saying uh, I was here I was here to study with Marge and he said study with Marge what what would you be studying with Marge about, you know, it was like an, a totally alien concept to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, the the farm that they had where they raised horses, mm-hmm. um, that was actually in the 80s that that started, the horse thing. The mm-hmm. guy who was managing it had wanted to get into horses and convinced Marge to, mm-hmm. and Marge didn't ride. She learned in her 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would have been in the 70s that she learned how to ride. So it's a great testament to her ability to learn new movement. And she got very to learn interested. how to ride. And she yeah. broke horses when she, she was in her sixties. Yeah, she got very interested in riding and mm-hmm. rode in well into her eighties, for yeah. sure. We have videos uh, of that, and um, I think she learned something from working with horses that maybe she would apply to teaching human beings. Mm-hmm. So there was some carryover there. Yeah, <laughs> but probably not the best part of her teaching in some ways. <laughs> but anyway, uh, anything else you want to say, John, about Marge? No, it was a very interesting education working with Marge. I'm very glad I did because I think the the breadth and her interest in the thinking aspects helped me immensely. Um, I, when I have clients in my physical therapy practice or other PTs ask me the influences of my practice, I can say hands down, it's the Alexander technique. But what I really mean, it's the training and thinking that Marge gave me about Alexander's discoveries mm-hmm. that really made all the difference in how I practice physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I think for both of us, she she was a major major influence on our on our lives. Mm-hmm. So why don't we uh, bring this conversation to a close? My guest today has been John Macy, uh, an Alexander Technique teacher in Omaha, Nebraska. He's also a physical therapist and a certified Pilates instructor, and the owner of Great Plains. Pilates and Physical Therapy in Omaha. Hey, John, thanks so much for this. It's been my pleasure, Robert.